Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is managing editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. And we're joined today by author and uh, Disney aficionado Drew Taylor, who's going to talk to us a bit about Onward, as well as the book he just wrote, The Art of Onward. Hello, Drew. Hello, everyone. It's uh, I'm so thrilled to be here. I love coming on this podcast, so it's a big, big thrill for me. Well, we're happy to have you. And I wanted to start, sort of start off before we jump into talking about Onward, sort of what was your process like of what's it like to write a book like this, like The Art of Onward and a book that sort of comes out at the same time, timed with the film? Well, it was it was interesting. It was not a lot of time. Um, obviously, these movies are changing a lot. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wrote it about a year ago around this time uh, last year. And it was very interesting because I saw the movie back then and it was probably like 99% storyboards. And I just remember thinking, if there isn't anything finished in this movie, I don't know how I'm going to talk to everybody about it. Because, I mean, the the images are so abstract at that point, uh, too. But um, so it was a fairly quick turnaround. They kind of had the book laid out. You know, um, there's all these different departments at Pixar that help. Um, get the book together, including um, I had some great editors at the kind of publishing arm of Pixar who really helped me and get this book uh, across the finish line. Um, But yeah, it was a really interesting process. You know, it's hard to like do something like that and then not talk about it for a year, especially because I love Pixar so much. But it was it was really a thrill. I kind of just um, jumped into it. And uh, it's really exciting that it's out now. Um, But uh, yeah, I hope I get to do another one. That, that would be a dream. How how's the art of Onward sort of differ than, you know, because you go, you look at the, the, you know, Pixar releases basically a book for every movie that they do. Like there's like, yes. so like for instance, like there's the art of The Incredibles, but you look at that artwork and it's more like mid-century modern. It has sort of its own influences. What was it like doing the artwork for, you know, writing about the artwork for Onward? Well, what's interesting is this is the first Pixar book that has an author since Brave. So I actually got to write a lot more than if Ooh, I was just, uh, yeah. So, and I think part of that is just because Dan's story is so personal. Like there's so much meat to what he put into the movie, which I know we'll get to in a minute, but also the movie really kind of follows these signposts of fantasy storytelling and locations of fantasy stories and everything like that. So it actually made it really, it made it cool to kind of like take you through that kind of like, archetype uh you know through the artwork in the book and i you know this is like if i was just watching this movie i would think oh my god there was there must have been a lot of really crazy artwork designed for it and there was and there are some really amazing there's some some amazing stuff that they took out of it that you get to see in the book i mean the movie's working title is trio because there was a third character that was on the journey with the brothers um who was this character named jenny who was like a little i think she was like a centaur or something and she helped them, and she, you know she went on this journey with them, and then they, they find, kind of like felt like she was kind of redundant, and some of her personality traits went into the brothers. But I mean, there's a ton of stuff like that. I mean, you guys were at D23 when they announced this movie, right? I wasn't. No. <laughs> uh, okay. okay. Well, <laughs> there was this amazing piece of artwork that they showed in the hall that was like a magical talking tree in the middle of like a Walmart par- parking lot, and that was like a really interesting thing to go into in the book because it was one of the first things they came up with. Everybody loved it. And then it didn't make it into the movie. So it's like stuff like that was really fascinating. And, um, 
And, you know, the best part was probably just spending, like, an, an unreal amount of time with these creative uh, people that you don't really ever get anywhere outside of a setting of writing a book because we all have 15 minutes to talk to whoever at the junket, and that's it, and you never talk to them again. So, so that was a real um, fun part of it, too. Yeah, uh, Who was this, this oh, go ahead, Jenny Adam. character? She was, she was a friend of theirs. I think she, at one point she had... <clears throat> So the like kind of like obsessive nerdy fantasy character was was first it was I think at first it was her and then it was Ian and then it went to Barley. Yeah. So I think she was the one that was like she knew all about magic and she you know she really understood this world and then it and then the kind of the name trio kind of like became about you know the dad and the two brothers and even there was a kind of long leady press day that I went to for you guys uh, about a month ago. And some of the animators were still calling it trio, which I thought was very funny. And it's actually a pretty cool working title uh, name, but uh, yeah, there was also a really funny that you see art of in the book. There's this really funny section towards the end of the movie where they, they go into like a minotaur's maze, but it's like a mall. It's a fa- it's like a, you know, shopping mall, and people have just been in this mall for, like, thousands of years, <laughs> and, like, getting lost, and the Minotaur is kind of, like, the security guard or something at the mall. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that that, you know, it, it shows you, like, the Pixar process of going too far into the fantasy or maybe not far enough and finding that middle ground that I think is what makes Onward um, special and, uh, like, connect with people. Yeah, I will say, like, one of my favorite things about this movie was that sort of combination of, like, what if a fantasy setting was hit by the Industrial Revolution? And so all of our modern conveniences have now been dumped into this sort of fantasy realm. And you're sort of, I mean, at that point, you also kind of have a a big hurdle as a storyteller to sort of be like, well, if magic exists, why wouldn't you just use magic for everything? And sort of trying to be like, well, magic is actually not that convenient. It's powerful, but it's, you know if you just wanted to turn on a light, it's, we can, what if we had that as well? And so I think it helps really push the story into uh, a realm that as a viewer, you really haven't been to before. Right. I also think it worked better than brave, you know, in the sense of like their adventure is kind of like restarting magic. Cause it's weird. Cause brave is also kind of a post magic setting and that she, I, I, you know, I thought that the the adventure in Brave would kind of inspire more magic to come back, but I, I love that idea in Onward that it's just it's not like super, it's not like Forrest Gump or something, but it, they just he they just kind of push people back towards that you know magic realm a little bit more, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, no, I definitely think it shows that like what they're doing has value beyond just their own adventure. Right. Right. And there's this kind of parallel to, I mean, in, in an age when anything is possible, um, like what's special, kind of this yeah. parallel to like the, the the world of filmmaking now when visual effects and CG advan- have advanced so far that like you're doing it on television. Um, right. And then it's like someone rediscovers like practical effects and it's like, holy shit, that's cool. Right. Well, that's so funny you mentioned that because so many, so many of the people I talked to brought up like you know, 80s movies. I think the movie has a very, like, Amblin-y vibe in some ways, and that they they really wanted, like, kind of a Muppety, creature shoppy uh, look and feel to everything. And at one point, they 
the characters were like really stylized. It was almost like Batman the Animated Series looking at one point. Oh, that's um, yeah. And then they were like, well, this doesn't really. I mean, I think the the kind of Pixar um, style kind of came in. They were like, we have to make this like super realistic and cool looking because you're not gonna buy if. If they're stylized and the world is so heightened, I think that there would be maybe like more of a disconnect there. Um, so, you know, I think they the characters look amazing. And then when people are like, it looks like a DreamWorks movie, it's like, no, it doesn't. No, I've I've seen <laughs> DreamWorks movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a depth to the to the character work that a lot of those DreamWorks movies uh don't have like the dreamworks is kind of rubbery and kind of emotion not emotionless but like forced emotion it's kind of broad it's kind of broad there's not a lot of subtlety in a dreamwork i mean outside of like maybe how to train your dragon there's like not a lot of subtlety in the way that those characters are animated they all have that you know someone else has made this observation they all have dreamworks face that's just like that like that character with like the eyebrow raised and the smirk (laughs) like that's what a dreamworks (laughs) animation character looks like right yeah, there was like a lot of talk um, too about sort of how translucent their skin was going to be because there's that kind of like pink that you see in their cheeks and in their ears that are like uh, that you can tell there's like blood underneath there in a way that, that you never really see in a in a DreamWorks movie. It's all very like yeah, you're right. It's like plasticine kind of um, blankness. But yeah, I thought I thought they did a good job. Obviously, they were a little hampered with. They talked about in the book, too, how how size was really important because all the animal, all the creatures had to sort of be the same size um, uh, because you couldn't have it couldn't be like Zootopia where there was like a giant car for an elephant and another one for it. They kind of had to be more uniform. And uh, I know we're not talking about specifics in the movie, but there's a scene where they go to a pawn shop and there's a character there that was supposed to be a mermaid at one point and they couldn't figure out how to kind of like get her out of the tub or the tank or something. So she kind of became a different beast, but uh, that was also interesting too. They actually talked to the people from that worked on Zootopia about how to kind of make all the mythological creatures similarly sized and exist in the same kind of like ecosystem. Yeah. And I think it works. I mean, like the manacore is bigger, but not, outrageously big that the, that she can't fit into a car, but then you also right. have like the pixies and like the pixies are, you know, their own thing, but not so minuscule that they can't be part of this world. Right. Did you it's love in- the manticore? Uh, did I love the manticore? Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the Manticore was a great. I love. I mean, again, the way that this sort of the way the the journey of Onward is a lot of fun. Just sort of like ah, uh, this thing is built up, and then you you flip it and be like, it's actually mundane. And then like right. to sort of like and sort of that back and forth between the fantastical and the mundane, and then back to fantastical again. I think is a really uh, fun journey. Yes. Yes. Well, and and speaking of Zootopia. Like one of the things I really liked about this film was the world building, which I think Zootopia does really well. It feels like mm-hmm. a world you could spend a lot of time in, which is why I wish they were doing that sequel. But I guess that's probably not happening anymore. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. Now that Rich, since Rich Moore left, I figured maybe not. Yeah, but I guess Byron, that was... Byron's still there. Okay. I'm just gonna say that. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you heard it here first. I, Movie that makes a billion surprised. dollars might get yeah. sequel. Yeah, Tootopia seems like a too good a title to give up to. So. Two Topes, Too Furious. Yes. Um, 
but anyway, in Onward, I felt like the world building was really well done. Like, it feels like a world I want to continue spending time in, but also, Matt, like you said, like, there are a bunch of nods to the previous eras where magic was prevalent and so you have these creatures that are now mundane but you're seeing artwork and even like functionality like the um the character that mel rodriguez plays is a centaur and you see him like struggling to get out of his car and they're mm -hmm. talking about how like back in the olden days the centaurs would run really fast and so it's this kind of like they're trying to put these magical creatures in kind of a, a box made for modern conveniences, but they don't really fit. So yeah. I like a lot of those kind of nods throughout the world to um, you buy it as this suburban fantasy world, but as this world that used to be much more um, uh, catered to magical creatures. Yeah. And at one point, I think there's art of this in the book, but at one point there was a character. He was kind of like this evil Phoenix character who, who in who kind of like purposefully made magic go away, and I think that that was definitely like it, he had this whole speech about how he wanted technology to rule and all this stuff, and it was like to me that's a lot less interesting than the movie the way the movie does it, which is just like you know it, it's just convenience took over and there is no overarching you know like uh, plot to it. It's just that you know it's easier to turn on a light than do a spell and. And um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting angle they went with for a little while and then pulled back on. But I, I think there is a lot more of this world that, yeah, needs to be explored for sure. Even that scene where they're walking through the beanstalks, you're like, what? what's up there? Like, what is, where do those beanstalks go? Um, that's the so. that's the thing is that like every like most of the scenes leave you wanting to further explore wherever that scene is set. Right. And, like, you, you have more questions than than are answered in the film because the film is rightly so focused on the, you know, this journey of these two brothers. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, if we want to sort of talk about the film itself proper, I mean, I think that this is this was a really strong effort by Pixar. And I, you know, I get it that like, you know, there is a formulaic you know, aspect. And I, I wrote about this sort of the, uh, a lot of Pixar films are buddy films, but I thought onward kind of achieved escaped velocity on that because for one, as I, again, as I said in my editorial, like the, the buddy movie thing is it's a foundation. It's not the totality. And so mm -hmm. like Pixar has never really done like a brother's film before. And I thought that was very well realized um, I thought the setting was well done. I thought the chemistry was well done. I mean, it's like, I think, you know, the question is, is like, is it top tier Pixar? But I would say like at this point, there really is enough diversity in the Pixar. Like Pixar has made a couple bad films. Like they've made some films that are all right. And then they've made some really great films. And I think, you know, it's not like, oh man, if it's not the best Pixar, it's not good. Pixar is kind of a flawed metric. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, for me, Onward worked really well. It's a film I'm excited to revisit. Yeah, it gets better, too, I think, as you watch it more. I am a little baffled by the kind of, like, commercial and critical indifference that the movie seems to have gotten. Yeah. Uh, I don't really, I don't, I don't really understand what that is all about, because I agree. I, don't, I think it's a very sweet movie, and I think the ending is what makes it special, which we're not going to talk about on this podcast, but to me, that ending is so profound that uh it makes every it sort of gives life to a lot of the other things that maybe don't you don't maybe aren't as thrilled with uh, elsewhere in the movie but yeah i mean i think design wise it's incredible 
the performances are great and it's just great to see an original Pixar movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, I mean, I, I mean, I think something that you don't really think about is like, but if you look over the course of the 2010s, most Pixar movies were sequels or prequels, mm-hmm. you know, like, and so to return to sort of this original, you know, to go to an original story, I think brought a lot to the table and it doesn't measure up as, you know, to original stories like inside out or Coco, you know, it's debatable. I, I don't think it does, but it's still good to return to that kind of original setting. Yeah, for sure. I think Scanlon's a really talented guy. And I think it's, I think, you know, he was not the original director on Monsters University. So I am thrilled that he got to kind of develop this from the ground up. And I think he's going to be a real star at Pixar. Should he uh, stay there? Um, But yeah, I think we are, I hope, I hope we're entering a new, a new kind of like, it feels very much, like we're kind of getting back into like when it was like Wally and Up and Ratatouille were all coming out one after the other. It feels like we might be hitting that kind of sweet spot again with Pixar movies. I'm hopeful. I mean, because that's that's kind of what was exciting about Pixar, and you know, uh, like I think Finding Dory is is fine, and Monsters University is fine. Uh, Cars Three is baffling. Uh, I don't know why kids are concerned about legacy when they're, you know, eight years old, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, even Incredibles 2, like, it was fine. Like, it, you know, well-constructed action, and, and it's okay. But, you know, uh, I think it's, like, the three of, for people like us who kind of grew up with Pixar and then were kind of at that that perfect age to kind of ride that wave of masterpieces that they were making, um, you know, you had like Monsters Inc. followed by Finding Nemo, followed by The Incredibles. The first Cars, I don't think, is terrible. Um, and then you hit like Ratatouille and Wally and Up and Toy Story three, and it's just like crazy good. Um, and then Matt, as you said, they they just have been kind of focused on sequels lately. So I am curious uh, regarding that kind of ho hum response. Like there are kids who only know Pixar as this thing that like builds these sequels to these things that their parents have showed them. So that's kind of i think what makes this a bit of a curiosity i mean coco was a little slow to get going if i'm not mistaken at the mm-hmm. um and there were you know some stories about how it was a bit of a failure at first i think it ended up grossing over 800 million or something like yeah, that. yeah and one and won the oscar for best animated feature yeah yeah um but yeah i don't know i'll, I'll be very curious to see how people are responding to um this next slew of original movies from Pixar. But I do think that I did get that feeling from Onward that like, oh, okay, this could be kind of the beginning of kind of a new Pixar. Like, I don't think we can ever go back. I mean, it was such an insular, almost kind of a really small group there at the beginning. Cause you yeah. just had the founders were directing their own movies. So it was Lasseter, Dr. Stanton, um, Lee Unkrich. And then you start bringing in like Brad Bird. Um, and then you had kind of the next generation, which I don't know what Mark Andrews has been up to since Brave, but that's been a long time. Um, yeah, I mean he 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 co-directed Brave and worked on and was I think he was a second AD or something on John Carter the same year. Yeah. So he he kind of like uh, as we've talked about before, John Carter, the live action Pixar movie. Um, yes. You know he has been. Uh, yeah, I don't know what he's been doing because I don't think he was on Incredibles too. Um, no, and he's he's shown up uh, on like short lists for like Marvel movies and stuff over the years, but he's never kind of been been given the reins to a big. Yeah, um, but even like Dan Scanlon was one. I mean, it, it felt like 
for a minute there, it felt like, all right, now we're seeing the next generation, but then they just didn't make any further films. And so now that we have a new thing from Dan Scanlon, I think that's, you know, exciting and, and hopefully points towards him, um, you know, being involved uh, going forward and making further movies. But yeah, I mean, and there are a lot of filmmakers at Pixar, younger filmmakers or filmmakers that we haven't heard from in a little while that are still yeah. there. There's also like hopeful. the short, the, the shorts directors that are sort of coming up through yeah. the ranks. I mean, I don't think it's a secret that Dami is working on a feature that mm-hmm. will be out fairly soon. Um, she directed Bao, um, and she's been on the, the kind of brain trust the last couple of years. But, yeah, I mean, there's people like Peter Sohn, who did Good Dinosaur, Steve Purcell, who's a total genius, who created Sam and Max a million years ago, and he directed the great uh, Toy Story that Time Forgot. Um he was working on another project that was in one of these franchises that didn't end up going, but I hope he, you know, gets to do something original because I think he's a genius. And if you haven't seen Toy Story that time forgot, I can't recommend that enough. It's a really weird Toy Story Christmas special um, with all these like kind of dinosaur characters. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who are, I think, in development on stuff. Um, and obviously we have a new Peter, Peter, uh, Pete Doctor movie coming out this summer, which is like the most exciting thing, obviously. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, again, I'm very curious, I think sort of what's going to be the give and take between Disney and Pixar, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. what, what does Disney want? Cause again, Disney has sort of these business demands of like Disney likes franchises. Disney needs to keep, you know, the parks humming and, you know, it's it's great that Pete Doctor is like, I made a movie about souls, and but Disney's like, okay, how's that a theme park? <laughs> like, right. are we, we going to knock right. out people's souls? Like, are they going to wander through some souls? Like, <laughs> you know, like what are, what are know, we... the best the best they've done with Inside Out is they just have characters in the parks, right? Yeah, I mean, and they've been talking about doing an Inside Out uh, redo of the Imagination Pavilion for a long time at Epcot, which. I think could eventually come to fruition. Um, I mean, they were talking about this when I was at the company in 2015. So that was like right when inside out came out, they were talking about doing it. But um, yeah, I mean, that is, that's a huge concern, right? Like that you have to feed the machine. And I think it's, it's not going to get easier now that Chapek is in charge. I mean, this is the guy that consolidated consumer products and the parks into one monolithic business unit at the company as a way to stabilize you know, in part to stabilize profits because, you know, they knew that they were still, you know, upping ticket prices 8% every year. And so if, you know, Toy Story 3 comes out and doesn't sell as many Buzz Lightyears, they still have, you know, the like turnstile numbers to go through. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's kind of shocking how much autonomy Pixar still has. I mean, they have their own PR division, they have their own marketing. Um, They've been kept outside of the kind of Disney main Disney machine for so long that I wonder, I wonder how, how long they can still do that, especially with the cur- current kind of like corporate structure. Yeah. So I, that's one thing I wanted to ask you, what does Bob Chapek mean for the future of Pixar? I don't know. I mean, the thing is that Pete doctor took over, uh, Lassiter's responsibilities at Imagineering. So, and from what I understand, he is very much into, like, he is the anti-Chapek in terms of, I had heard at one point that they went to him with the Inside Out uh, redo of Imagination Pavilion, and he said, no, come up with something original with Figment. He just flat out rejected it. 
So that is the stuff that I wonder. But I mean, well, I mean, I can kind of see where I can kind of see where he's coming from. I'm sorry. Go go on. No, no. I said I just think Chapek is a penny pincher. Mm. So I wonder how you know how long he's how long it'll take his eye to get to Emeryville. And start going. Oh, do we really need all these people? Do we need the free, you know, cereal bar? Do we need to fly everybody up here for junkets? The you know? ah, the Ike Perlmutter approach to business. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Yeah, we're gonna get a half a subway sandwich at the next uh, at the Soul Junket. Uh, um, yeah. No, it's it's interesting. I, I don't. I it'll that'll be a very contentious, I think, relationship. Uh, and and you know, Pete makes movies that don't. There's not a uh, there's not an up journey to the South American jungle. There attraction. should be though, like uh, at, at least up like offers itself to like up is like an adventure film. So like right. just go on the adventure. Like you could be like a nature scout or whatever the Russell is. You know, like you know, like I I see that easier than like than translating inside out to a theme park where it's like, do we really need sadness at the theme park? And it's like, well, sadness <laughs> is an important character. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but we don't want people. Can it only be joy? <laughs> Can it right. only be right. joy? Yeah. Uh, they, they opened up this little ride at California adventure called the emotional whirlwind. And I think disgust is like the marquee character with that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Pete's whole deal is like very, antithetical to the to the kind of franchise model that Pixar's had for the last 10 years. I mean, Monsters University kind of came out. I mean, he had very little to do with it. It just kind of, kind of came out from that the world being so rich. And obviously, we're getting Monsters at Work, which Pixar doesn't have anything to do with that's coming to Disney+. Plus. Um, but, you know, he... The thing about Pete, too, is that he is... He's innately aware that Pixar cannot be just movies by these same five white guys that are only getting older. You know what I mean? He's very aware of the history of Walt Disney animation. The fact that the nine old men stayed on probably too long, uh, you know, into the eighties and he doesn't want that to happen at Pixar, which is why he's cultivating these relationships with people like Dami um, and Dan and, you know, the kind of like younger generation. And um, there's so many amazing like story artists and people that can, can rise up uh, through the ranks and do this this job too, and I I hope that the spark I don't know if you guys have watched those spark shorts on Disney Plus yet, but they're really interesting and you know those those people are coming from all different aspects of production to make these short films. So you know I I'm I'm very hopeful. It's just gonna I'm really interested to see what the Doctor versus JPEG dynamic is gonna be like. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I had a I had a brief conversation with uh, Kelsey Mann, who came to Atlanta to talk about Onward, and uh, Kelsey was the uh, director of story uh, for the film, and he kind of and he pointed out like Dan Scanlon is very much like not that he's hands off, but he's like he entrusts people to sort of figure things out, like, and I think you know that strategy like from Scanlon and then you know from from Pete Doctor to like by spreading out like the people that can be entrusted to do, to be, to make creative choices. Like I think a brain trust has its place. And I think that worked for a while for Pixar, but I think drew, as you, as you said, like when it's all, when all the power is concentrated in one place, then you can, you can stagnate. Yes. Well, and it's also that there's some very high, there's been high profile, you know, departures from the studio too. the Lee left. Um, and his producer who, uh, I just saw at, 
Netflix, of course, um, because that's where she is now. Um, Darla. Darla, who's married to Corey, who uh, produced Onward, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. And Bird's not there anymore, you know. So, like, a lot of these, I don't know what Last Sam's year, doing. Last, last year. What? What happened? Not there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he hugged. He hugged too many people. <laughs> There's too much hugging. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that brain trust evolves too i think josh cooley who directed toy story 4 is going to be a big uh big name at the studio too um and a guy like Ang- angus mclean who directed some of the best shorts i think he also co-directed dory um so it'll be interesting to see when he gets his own movie or if he gets his own movie and yeah i, I don't know it, it you're right it is going to be a different dynamic but you know there's just little things that i feel like show that Chapek doesn't really give a shit about Pixar, like how Toy Story Land is set during the Andy period and not Bonnie, when Bonnie is like, Bonnie's been the main character since Toy Story 3. Well, yeah, and um, if you're showing, like, young kids are probably starting with those later films or the shorts, right. so they don't really know Andy, probably. Right. It's just sort of weird. Stuff like that, I think, is kind of bizarre. And I don't think that's something that Pixar would really... Yeah, you know, I'm sure they fought that too. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. That, that kind of unpredictable. I mean, we were talking before the show about how they don't really talk about their slate as much anymore, kind of further out. So it is a big mystery as to what is coming next, which is kind of exciting too. So did they? I, I've I know I've heard like conflicting like people saying no, this never happened. But were they mandated to make like a certain amount of sequels? when Disney bought them. Yeah, I mean, uh, from what I understood, it was a one-for-you, one-for-me kind of thing. Although it didn't really work out that way. It ended up more like two, three-for-you, one-for-me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But also, it was like, there were also kind of weird uh, things like John Carter bombing and tomorrow and not performing as well as they wanted it to. And then that meant, okay, well... You know, Stanton's on the rebound. We can do Finding Nemo 2 now, or we can do Incredibles 2 now, because they kind of need this hit. Um, And then there's, you know, there's, like, the practical things, like, you know, Cars is a multi-billion dollar merchandise machine that, you know, needs to be fed. There's a theme park land in California that needs to have new merchandise, so, like... I don't know. There's there are practical things to consider uh, as well. So, um, and then you know the the release schedule like was so turned upside down at, at so many different points. Remember when Toy Story four was going to have the Incredibles two spot and yeah. you know yeah all that stuff. So yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, just it's, turned Incredibles two out right. That yeah, was, he did it yeah. very fast. Yes, I think you can some you can feel that a little bit in the yes. movie. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Let me get this over with so I can go back to my live action toys. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why the ending was set on a boat. That was the big climax, especially when the original version of Incredibles 2 was about AI and there were entire buildings that were coming to life at the end and, and all this stuff. But that'd have been cool. Yeah. It would have been, it would have been, it would have been a little bit more dynamic than a, than a boat almost crashing into a city. But yeah. So there, yeah, there were a lot of things that dictated this weird kind of last 10 years of, uh, Pixar. I mean, uh, I would say like, even though like the last 10 years have been weird, I still don't think like Pixar, like I think 
you know, it's funny. I think as, as writers, as journalists, we're sort of maybe sometimes in a rush to editorialize like an overarching story that may not be there. Like, right. like Pixar is dead. And it's like, no, <laughs> Pixar lives like, and, you know, and it's just like, well, maybe they're just like a studio now. Like, you know, and I get it. Yeah. Like, yes, historically it is objectively true that Pixar went on a run that was unrivaled, like for like, you know, from like Toy Story through, you know, I would say Toy Story 3 because Cars 2 is just unwatchable. But, right. you know, like, I mean, that's still a hell of a run. They kill cars, Matt. <laughs> I know, they right? <laughs> they torture them to death. <laughs> what a great film. But, yeah. like, I think, you know, at the end of the day, like, I think Pixar is still, like, an I mean, if we're looking at, like, if you're a consumer and brands are held at a premium Pixar is still like a top tier brand. Like if I'm a parent, I can be like, Oh, I can trust Pixar. And in, in the way that I'm like, what is blue sky? Like blue sky doesn't matter. And it right. certainly doesn't well, matter now that, that it's, you know, under. Yeah. Well, and, and, and bringing that up too, like the first, that first chunk of Pixar movies was so unparalleled in the industry because at this at the time, you know, Walt Disney Animation Studios was kind of faltering. And in the last 10 years, we've seen, as we've talked about on a previous episode, Walt Disney Animation Studios just becoming this amazing powerhouse of new stories, new storytellers, you know, franchises that we would have never imagined had so much potential, like Ralph Breaks the Internet or Frozen. And that, those are coming out in this same period that, that Pixar is putting out a lot of these sort of follow-ups. So... It maybe felt less special when we had another studio that was doing stuff that was just as cool or cooler at the same time. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, increased competition now. I mean, Pixar forced everyone else to raise the bar. You had DreamWorks Animation, uh, which was largely fueled by Jeffrey Katzenberg's uh, revenge plot against Michael Eisner. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But even in recent years, you've got like Sony Pictures Animation putting out some really cool stuff thanks to Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Um, uh, And even DreamWorks is like, they've kind of found a way, I mean, DreamWorks doesn't make a lot of great films, but they, you know, for every two Mr. Peabody and Shermans, they get one Trolls. Or, uh, you know, over at Illumination Entertainment, they were on an insane streak for a while. I can't remember. Illumination makes like, a ton of hits. They're yeah. fucking oh, yeah. garbage, but kids love yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, bad. I think it, I think Spickable Me is like the most successful animated franchise of all time. Yes. Yeah. Because each one like makes a billion dollars. Yeah. But it's I'll crazy. Also say, to that point as well, I think there is also confusion because I continually still people are asking me like, oh, is that one Pixar? And right. I'm like, no, that's Illumination Entertainment, like Secret Life of Pets. Oh, is that a Pixar movie? Is that what that is? No, it wants to Just, be. <laughs> it looks similar. Right. But I think they're banking and on it. And it is stuff. the exact same plot as Toy Story. Exactly. Cannot... <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I think they're, they're, these other studios are banking on audiences to not know the difference. Uh, and it, it's few and far between that you get something as inventive and groundbreaking as Spider-Verse. Right. Uh, that is the thing that I wish I wish, and I think that this will happen is that I wish that they took some more aesthetic chances. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. you know, a Pixar movie five seconds into it. I mean, at least we do that when yeah. we're not confused about it being secret life of pets, but yeah, I mean, and, and connected to, which is coming out in September, I think is going to be really interesting looking. It looks um, great. They're yeah. doing some crazy stuff with 3d renderings of like yes. paintings and stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember when we. I, I'm sure. I'm sure this did not make the same impact as you, but when when we when I saw Paper Man for the first time. Yeah. Oh, Paper Man's insane. Short, or that it's not a Pixar short. It's a Walt Disney Animation Studio short, but it 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 has this 2D 3D look, and it was like, that's it. That's gonna be. That's gonna be like somebody's gonna make a feature that looks like that. And they and kind of hasn't. got that with Klaus, you know, that has yes, that, that that's true. That, I would I would say yeah, that is probably the closest anybody's gotten to a, a feature length version of that. But I know they try. That's how Moana was supposed to look like that, um, and they couldn't they couldn't get it to work in color. Mm, they said interesting. Yeah. But, you know, there's also these great Walt Disney Animation Studio shorts on uh, Disney Plus and the amount of experimentation that you can tell the animators are like dying to do that they haven't done in a feature yet um, is really interesting. But I will say that I think Soul is going to be pretty outrageous. Um, and even stuff like Toy Story 4, the, the way that they pushed that visually um, was really interesting. I think Onward looks gorgeous too. I mean, like kind of the nighttime shots and the like low light stuff is really, really interesting. So you're right. I would love to see them go full, full Spider Verse. We'll see if that that happens. What happened to the Paperman guy? Because wasn't he supposed to do something for Disney and then He's he still left? Around. Or something? I'm, well, John Carr's yeah, uh, the guy that directed uh, Feast. Who, which also kind of has that weird yeah. mm-hmm. uh, look. He left, but he's directing the Lumberjanes movie, which is now a Disney movie technically because it was at Fox. So, you know, at, at some point, I guess we'll all just be working for Disney. Collider <laughs> will be owned by Disney. And, what, yeah. what has become of Blue Sky Studios? You know, uh, they're hiring people. I know that. So Spies I in disguise too, side. my man. Yeah. I... I, I really have a soft spot for Blue Sky because I used to live in, in uh, Connecticut and they're in Greenwich. Um, and so I would like, you know, when I needed a kind of hit, I'd call my buddy who worked over there and go over. And I think the problem with Blue Sky is they don't have, they don't have the filmmakers that are exciting yeah. to anybody. You know, if, Gen- if Gendy was over there or, you know, Lord and Miller were over there, then it would be one thing, but... You know, they, Blue Sky has a really interesting history with Pixar. And I don't know if I've talked about this before, but, you know, Epic was supposed to, was a Pixar movie for like six weeks that he really? wanted. Yeah, Chris Wedge wanted to do it at Blue Sky. They said no. He's buddies with Lasseter. So for six weeks, it was being developed at Pixar. And then finally, Fox said, no, 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 we want to keep him. We want, you know, this relationship to continue. And it went back to Blue Sky. But. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting little. Nobody really knows about that, but that that's an interesting little bubble. But yeah, so they you know they they have that kind of weird connection. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know Sony was trying to get Lord and Miller to kind of build up a stable of animated filmmakers at Sony Pictures Animation. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then Lord and Miller were like, "We're not interested." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think Sony Sony's doing really interesting stuff, like. They, you know, they've been trumpeting recently that they that their lack of house style is their biggest, you know, asset. That directors can come there and work on whatever they want. And that that's not to say that every movie. There's a one movie that they're working on that is just that is the stupidest idea 
you've ever heard of in your life, which I'll tell you about off air. But um, <laughs> sorry, listeners. Uh, sorry, Is it the Emoji Movie too? It's not, but it's sort of on that level. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but uh, even like Angry Birds 2, I thought was really fun. Everyone you know, said it I was really good. Yeah. So the, I think they've, they've got some interesting... So, I mean, if Gendy's movies actually are made, you know, his, his action movie and his like R-rated comedy, that will, that will cement to me Sony as like a great animation powerhouse. But we will... That remains to be seen. I mean, the problem with these, these animation studios too is that they're run by... <laughs> They're inside of another giant studio that always has leadership changes and somebody will like one project and they won't like another. And you know what I mean? And and so they're kind of at the will of these powers that are kind of beyond them. So, and since they take so long to make, they can't. It's not like, oh, well, the train's already left the station. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like what happened with, you know, like I talked to Gendy one time and he's like, I somehow have survived like six different leadership changes at Sony. And one of them, some liked the, you know, that's why like Popeye never happened. One guy liked it, the other one didn't. And it was like, it wasn't far enough along that they had to make it. And that was it. And it's kind of like, ugh, it's heartbreaking. Yikes. Well, I, I guess let's, uh, you know, if, we, if you guys want, let's wrap up. Let's talk about our favorite Pixar films. Top five okay. Pixar uh, Drew, what what about you? What are your top five right. picks are? Okay, here's un, unranked. Here's okay. my top five that That's I came fair. up with. Um, all right, so Wally, mm-hmm. Up, Ratatouille, Incredibles, and Inside Out. I think not a huge surprise there. I'm sure our top fives will all look very similar, but uh, yeah, that's mine. Solid. Yeah. What, what about you, Adam? Uh, well, mine's on the website, so feel free to yell at me on the internet if you like. Um, but Ranked, I have uh, at number five, Inside Out, number four, The Incredibles, number three, Monsters, Inc., number two, Finding Nemo, which I found surprising because when I rewatched it, I was like, holy shit, this movie's kind of a masterpiece. And number one, Wally, which is just forever my favorite. All right. Um, For me, Unranked, it's Up, Inside Out, Coco, Toy Story 2, and Finding Nemo. Why do you hate Wally, Matt? So here's the thing about Wally that I, I I'll actually answer this because for a long time I was like, oh man, I really love Wally, and I went back and I rewatched it, and I'm like, this is pretty good. Like, there's some things in here that are are outstanding. Like the first act is amazing. I like it's sort of it's satire. I think it makes some really strong points. I'm a little uncomfortable with the Wally Eve relationship now knowing what we know about Lassiter. It's changed. I'm sorry, it has. Um, right. especially when they're on earth. I'm sorry. It's, it's not the, the cutesy sort of like, ah, oh, she's just not into that into him. Like, no, this is different now. And then the other thing is, is like, I feel like it didn't bother me as much at the time. And I understand that it's hard to make a film that's about environmentalism from a major studio and like to actually live that environmentalism. But you watch the film now and it's like, oh, all that crap that Wally is cleaning up could easily be like Wally toys that were made, <laughs> you know, like Disney <laughs> right. didn't make the effort to make like a sustainable, a completely sustainable thing. And so there's a, there's a sort of not a huge hypocrisy at the center of the film, but it is sort of like, I wish the film had been made differently. Like, and sort of like, I wish it had lived its values that it's, that it's portraying, even though I think ultimately 
making a blockbuster film that Im- that supports environmental values is good for the audience. Like kids aren't going to f- know one way or the other if it was made on sustainable materials, but they'll get the message that like, oh, we shouldn't destroy the earth. So yeah, here's I, my biggest problem with Wally. Okay, and you can you can feel free to rebuke this, uh, Adam. But if the if the robots had taken over 500 years ago or whatever, and there was no possibility of going back to Earth, why did they send Eve there anyway? You know what? Fuck you. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why? Why risk it at all? For love, Drew. For, for love. Love planet Earth. She was sent there. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't. I will admit it has been a while since I've seen Wally, but uh, I. I love Wally. I, I, have I, do, I do. I do agree with the criticisms that their relationship is super weird when she kind of like powers down. Um, but I think it's so. And beautiful. he carts her around. In his yeah, shop. he carts around in a shopping cart. Yeah, um, I, I think the I think the second half of Wally actually doesn't get as much appreciation as it should with the just insane, colorful, over the top antics in the. Yeah, it's way more of like an action comedy in its second half. Right, right, and that's such an interesting. You know, that was a Pete doc talking about Pete Doctor, the genius. That was Pete's original idea. And it was this crazy thing called Trash Planet, and the aliens, you know, were these blobby people that were later revealed to be human beings blobby. who had just let themselves go. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like, kind of like onward. They just kind of like, like there was this Planet of the Apes moment where they, you realize that they were humans at one point, and they uh. just totally devolved into these blobs. Um, so, yeah, Pete couldn't make it work, so he handed it off to uh, to our good friend Andrew Stanton and. That's what happened. But I, here's my controversial opinion, that in the next five years, at least two of your top five movies will be replaced with new movies. That's, That's I, my... I'm, I'm willing to accept that possibility. Okay. Okay. I mean, it happened with Inside Out five years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah. Coco wasn't that long ago. Coco was, yeah. was 2017, so. That's true. Coco is great. I think, I think there's a lot of shoe leather, to the, especially to the beginning of Coco, to make everything work towards yeah. the end of Coco. You know yeah, what I mean? It's all building like, to that, that finale emotional song. Yes. And so it's like, you see the wheels turning in the first act to really, oh you see, you see the yeah. wheels turning, but it's so culturally rich in a way that I feel like not a lot of family films are like to yeah. just really embrace like Mexican culture and to like try to t- put you into this world and like what really matters here. I think that really makes it come alive. And I especially think um, I think it was it was very welcome. Yes, but there is there is a lot like especially the family is so huge and you don't really get a great the the deceased family is so huge that you don't really get a sense of like what everybody's role is necessarily. Yeah. Um, I still love Coco, but I do think there's there's you can I mean with Coco you can tell man they are gonna work this thing until it you know the the square peg will be you know the round will fit the I also, round hole i also point. feel like coco has one of the best jokes in any pixar film which one it's when after the huge climax happens and the guy comes back to his seat and goes what did i miss <laughs> i think that's, that's the most brilliant kind of like way to react to your climax of your own movie <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
that Coco was also made in a in a time when I feel like every Disney movie there was somebody looking for some doodad or something, and there's a little bit of that in in the Coco kind of like there's a lot of scrambling around in Coco, mm. not as much as as Finding Dory. Are you talking Dory about Coco is... or are you talking about Rise of Skywalker? I'm talking about Co- <laughs> well, I... <laughs> Rise of Skywalker is the king of the doodads. The doodads. Nothing here. but doodads. No, Got to find the Coco. knife to find the wayfinder to find the ships to find the <laughs> yes. Kids love wayfinders. Speaking of, of of things in theme parks, the fact that we have not gone into a fully immersive land of the dead is like the biggest tragedy. Why is that not three caballeros? Why is it not a Coco ride yet? Uh, I mean, they were ready to pull the trigger on the Coco ride. I have some some uh, like uh, documentation from what what Epcot was going to be like uh, just a few years ago, and they that was very much on the table. I don't know why they haven't done it yet. It seems like a really easy fix. And at one point, Lee, who I am sure he stopped telling the story, but he said that he was inspired to make Coco when he was on the press tour for Toy Story 3, and he went into the Mexican pavilion. And that kind of, like, magic version of, of Mexico mm-hmm. is what he wanted to capture in Coco. So it makes perfect sense to me. But, yeah. you know, we'll have to wait for our soul roller coaster um, first, you know. The yes. solar coaster? <laughs> so the solar coaster. Oh, my God. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. All right. Well, uh, Drew, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we'll oh, probably we'll probably drag you back here to talk to us about Soul later this summer. <laughs> oh, I would love that. Yes, yes. Let's do it. Uh, all right. Well, if you want to keep up with this podcast, uh, well, first off, uh, Drew, where can people follow you on Twitter? Oh, I'm Drew Tailored, T-A-I-L-O-R-E-D. So I always post a lot of, if animation is your bag, that's a good place to follow me. And also Mission Impossible nonsense, but... Uh, yeah, that's me on, on all social channels and the book is in stores now. So go get that. Yes. The too. art of like, onward Buy it. Yes. And listen to light the fuse. Oh yeah. We've got some Mission good light the fuse podcast. Episodes. Yes. If you like your, if you like your rise of Skywalker dirt, we've got, uh, <laughs> Marianne Brandon is on the show in a couple weeks. So get ready for that. Nice. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, if you want to give up this podcast, you should follow Adam and I on Twitter. Adam, where can people find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you next week.